What's going on, everybody? It's your host of the Wrestle Your Perception podcast, Luigi. And my guest today is a human performance program specialist. He leads a multidisciplinary team consisting of strength and conditioning coaches, athletic trainers, dietitians, and sports psychologists. In this capacity, his primary role is the education and training of soldiers. He also assists commanders to develop strategic plans to optimize performance, reduce the occurrence and severity of injuries, and improve readiness. He trains groups as large as 120 soldiers. His team and himself work towards a system of individualized training in a group setting as opposed to a one-size-fits-all training. He's also served in similar capacity in both the special operations and collegiate settings. And he's got way more on his resume than that. But we'll touch on that during the podcast. My guest today is Carson Randall. What's up, baby? Hey, Lou. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. And I'm going to get into your intro a little bit more because you sent that to me and it was awesome. But there's a lot more to that. You have your degree in exercise science, is it? Correct. My undergrad degree is in exercise science, and then my master's degree is in strength and conditioning. Gotcha. And you did – are you on speakerphone right now? No. Oh, okay, cool. Good. So not only that, you also served in in the, in the Marine Corps. So – Tell us about your, your time serving the Marine Corps as far as, like, what, which operation were you a part of? Because I know it was more than one, or was it you were deployed twice, I believe? Twice to Iraq. So I guess the, the first one was considered OIF, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and then the second one was OEF, Operation Enduring Freedom. Gotcha. But that doesn't mean shit to a guy like me on the ground. I mean, yeah, you're just there doing what you're, you're, Yeah, you're there. You don't know what operation you're part of. Yeah. And your biggest thing there is, I mean, I would assume, guessing, I mean, we spoke about it because Carson and I are very close friends in real life, but your biggest thing was protecting your guys that were with you, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's always going to be priority number one, protecting yourself and protecting your fellow Marines. And then, you know, second, third order missions, whatever, whatever that would be based off your command and your, and your mission there. Gotcha. So, and you got your degrees in, you got them while you, when you were done with the Marines, correct? Right. So I, I went to college for three semesters before enlisting. And then when I got out, I, that's when I actually graduated uh, with my undergraduate and then graduate degree. And what, what does, like, because the path that you took, it wasn't a direct path because you went, eventually went back to the military, not in a, in a uh, combat aspect or enlisting aspect, I should say, but you went back to train, to train, to train the, the men and women in the military. Right, as a civilian, right, okay. so, Working for the military as a contractor. So your first, your first uh, job in that sense, what was that? So my official title 
was a program specialist. And so what was... Uh, which basically is like the military's equivalent of a, of a strength and conditioning coach. Okay. And that was for the Marines, right? Correct. And you were training... Because uh, I know you said that you were in special... Op, uh, you were training special operations and also collegiate sports at one time. So when you were training in the Marines, when you were back to training the Marines, not in the Marines, but training them, you were training the Raiders. Is that, is that correct? Right. And just to, to clarify, so when I, when I got out of the military, I started going back to school. You know, I did, I forget what it was, a year and a half, two years of school, you know, doing like personal training and stuff uh, on the side. Then as I was finishing up my undergraduate degree, that's when I first started working for SAU in the, in the collegiate setting. So I ended up working in the collegiate setting as a strength coach for five years. Then the opportunity arose to go back to the Marines, uh, again, as a civilian, specifically working with MARSOC. Which, which is, what is MARSOC? Yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, that's Marine Special Operations. So it's the Marine Corps equivalent of like a Navy SEAL or an Army Green Beret. Gotcha. And so that was when you first started, that was, so training those guys, and men and women I would assume, compared to the college side, what's what would you say is the compare, is there, are there similarities in the way that the athlete, their mindset is, or physical capabilities, or you, you tell me. Yeah, I mean, there's more differences than similarities. So, uh, starting with collegiate athletes, you know, they're they're there, they're recruited because they're very good at their sport. Um, but they're at the end of the day, they're 18 to 22 year old kids. You know, most of them on scholarship, so they're not very mature. You know, uh, they don't necess- they didn't necessarily sign up for strength and strength and conditioning. They're there to play a sport Mm -hmm. and depending on the sport, depending on the individual, you know, not everybody really enjoys the, the the strength and conditioning side of it. Yeah. I could see that on the, on the tactical side. So what makes, what makes MARSOC unique over the other special operations branches is you have to serve as a, you know, quote unquote, normal Marine first before they allow you to come over to the special operations side. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So most of those men and women, all of those men and women are more mature. You know, they're, they're 22 all the way to, you know, 40, but the vast majority of them are in their mid early 20 or mid to late 20s. They're way more mature. They're, you know, they're training with you because they're choosing to, they're not being forced there as part of a sport. So they, they take their training much more seriously, but they're not as, as physically gifted as most of the athletes. Gotcha. Now they're, they're extremely fit. Uh, you know, they, they have a, a great conditioning background, but you know, they lack the, just the raw athleticism and, and strength and speed coordination, all those things that most, most collegiate athletes have. Gotcha. So it's, it's weird because you can't, 
you can't train them the same way because gotcha. they're not nearly as, as advanced or as gifted. Now, a lot of them think they are, mm -hmm. so you have to try to tactfully convince them that they're not. Gotcha. So in a conditioning aspect, they're there. I mean, that's, you know, they can go, you know, they have the gas tank to do the job and more. But as far as, like you said, like the athleticism, it's just a different, it's a different level. You know, well, right. And that's, that's because most selections, regardless of what branch you're in, you're in that's what the, the selection courses require. So if you don't have that, you know, very, very developed you know, energy system base, you're not going to make it. Yeah. So. That makes sense. Everybody that's left is typically very, very well conditioned. And I would even argue beyond probably what they need. Yeah. But that's a whole different conversation. Gotcha. So, I mean, so as far as like, just to break it down for people that are listening, someone that is in really good shape, that is really fit, that has great condition, and then you compare them to someone who's a a super talented athlete. The athlete, what is the athlete? More of a definition in that sense. Like, what what do they have that that person that's super conditioned doesn't? Just to break it down in layman's terms. Well, so so think about you know again athletes, they're they're very good at a sport. So it, it depends. Like a, like a football player, depending on your position. Okay. If you're a defensive back. You know, you're extremely quick. You're extremely, extremely ex explosive. You can change direction very, very well. You have good coordination, good body awareness, all these things. Those are requirements to play the sport. If you don't have that ability, you're not going to play. You're going to, you know, you're going to ride the bench. Gotcha. So it doesn't matter how fit you are if you're not athletic. Okay. That's where the military is different is they screen for other things, I'm simplifying it, but the, the mostly the most scrutinized thing that they screen for is your ability to endure, you know, long days, you know, hard days consecutively. You know, you could be the most uncoordinated person in the world. Yeah. That doesn't matter as long as you can, you know, put your head down and keep moving forward. Gotcha. And obviously be a marksman. I mean, at the end of the day, shoot, move, and communicate. You know, I mean, you got you can be the most fit guy or gal in the world, but if you can't shoot, then you're not going to make it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Well, that was good. I'm glad you broke that down. So the when you got to this program, the new program, when when you took the job with the army, um, th this was relatively a new position. It was a new thing bringing in strength coaches into the into the military. Correct. And again, to clarify, so after, you know, my time at Marstock, I then took a, an opportunity working for the Army, but working with the conventional side, so, so non-special operations. This is your, you know, plain Jane, so to speak, Army. Okay. At, at the time, the, yes, I was the second strength conditioning coach at Fort Benning. Okay. 
So yes, relatively new. Now there were some other pilot programs at different installations across the country, but in terms of Fort Benning, I was one of two strength and conditioning coaches on that installation. So right, very few people knew what a strength coach is, let alone what a strength coach does. And I, and I don't even like the term strength coach. Okay. I, I use that to abbreviate. But if I told somebody who doesn't know what a strength coach is and say, hey, I'm a strength coach, they're going to imply that you're the weight room guy and you're going to help me you know, lift weights to get bigger and stronger and stuff like that. Really, you know, a better title is human performance specialist. So that implies that, you know, myself and people with my credentials, we can help in anything regarding human performance, whether that's strength, you know, cardiovascular fitness, uh, you know, speed, power, you know, whatever, whatever physical requirement you need. So you're working with these, with the soldiers as, uh, you're also working with, I remember we said in the intro, dietitians, um, what else? A nutritionist? Well, that's the same thing, I would think, right? A physical No, a dietitian is, is higher up on the hierarchy. Gotcha. Okay. So, as a as the position that you're in, human performance specialist, what other... So, these soldiers have access to basically everything that a collegiate at, or even professional athlete would have access to nowadays. Yeah, the only difference is going to be the ratios, right? It's a so lot. in a collegiate setting, you may have, you know, one dietitian or, or a team of dietitians for an athletic department. That athletic department may be, you know, a few hundred um, athletes within the Army. You know, you may have one dietitian for a few thousand. But it's still, they have so, that, they have that access to it. The yes. soldier has that, and they can go and see them, and and they'll be catered to, which is pretty cool because they never had that before from the guy. No, and a large part of my my day to day outside of just you know the training of the soldiers is communicating to them the value in seeing a dietitian or the value in seeing you know a sports psych or, or the value in actually having an athletic trainer or a physical therapist look at, you know, that part of your body that's been nagging you for the past, you know, few months, sometimes few years. Because they're just wired so different. You know, they're wired not to stand out. They're wired to just fall in line and, and you know, don't complain. So it's like I'm trying to undo a lot of that and be like, yeah, your shoulder's been bothering you for six months. Like, if it had been six days, I would tell you, you know, just rest it. Hopefully it'll get better. But if it's been six months, obviously there's something going on there that needs to get looked at. Yeah. And a lot of these guys and gals, again, they're just like, oh, well, it's, it's not that bad. I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. That it could get very bad. You want to catch it early. So let's, let's miss one day of PT, get your shoulder looked at, let's develop a plan to, to fix it, to rehab it, so that, you know, six weeks from now, you're in a, you're in a better position. It's not just run times and, and push-ups. I mean, it, it's about being healthy and not being in pain. Yeah. So. That's awesome. I love that. And before you got there, um, what was the program lacking before you arrived? Well, it, it's still it's still what the program's lacking. Um, 
so really, so where I'm at at Fort Benning, it's most of the soldiers I work with are there for a specific school. So they're, they're temporary. So they may be there for, you know, 12 weeks for this course or 22 weeks for this course. Within that course environment, it's a very good idea to have some sort of standardized PT plan. Okay. Based, based around what we, what the army calls high physical demand tasks. So for example, say you're part of, part of this 12 week course and at the end of this course to graduate, you have to do a five mile run in a, you know, under a certain amount of time, you have to do a 12 mile foot march and under a certain amount of time, you have to, you know, do this obstacle course. You know, it's, a, it's different from course to course. Yeah. So it's a good idea to have your PT plan, you know, train up to those, those tasks. Now, not exclusively, you don't only train to those tasks. You, you still want to train everything else. Yeah, but so to, to answer your question, one of the big things that's lacking is the standardization of these PT plans. So within a within one course, you know, you may have one group of soldiers, you know, running three four times a week. You may have another group doing tons and tons of body weight exercise, you know, calisthenics, push ups, sit ups, pull ups, and it's not based off the needs of the soldier. It's not based off the science. It's purely based off the individual running PT and what they like to do. Okay. And that, that holds true to my time when I was in the Marines. I mean, we didn't really have a standardized PT plan. I mean, one day a week or one day every other week, we knew we'd be going on some sort of run with our company commander. Yeah. Um, but the day-to-day, the vast majority of the time, it was up to the, the team leaders and the squad leaders based on what we wanted to do for PT. Yeah. And because I liked to lift weights and our, our barracks were relatively close to a gym, three, four days out of the week, we would run to the gym, we would lift weights for an hour, and then we would run back. Gotcha. I mean, that's Which, be- better than what most guys did. Yes, it is. But where I failed, and I didn't have the education experience back then, is we would run to the gym, and then once we're at the gym, it was like, okay, everybody do, you know, just stay busy basically for an hour. Yeah. So a lot of the Marines, you know, they would just do bench press and curls and, you know, all the silly shit that most people who have no idea how to train for performance do. Uh, even me, you know, I was following a bodybuilder split back then because I didn't know any better. Yeah. So it was like all leg day or all chest day or whatever. Yeah. Um, but as silly as that type of training is, it still works very well if you if you're consistent with it. Yeah. I mean obviously so, you became a pretty good athlete. And we'll get into that. You know, you well, st- I, I I was on the higher end of athleticism going in and that's that's not really saying much for me. That's that's you know, most people view the the average marine or the average soldier as way more athletic than they really are, but well that's kind of a that's a secret. Don't let the communists know that. <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> but that's why I have a job, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, if it, everybody were studs going in, there wouldn't be a place for people like me. Yeah, I mean, you want to, I mean, your whole thing is to make it better. I mean, and it's relatively new bringing, you know, someone like you in that field into the military. Yeah, make it better. Uh, a better way to say that is to make it less stupid. 
<laughs> and that, I mean, honestly, like that's the easiest thing. It's like, let's, let's go through and just get rid of all the dumb stuff. Yeah. There's tons of it, tons of it. Like then we can start talking about how to do things better. So yeah, problem number one is let's, let's get rid of the dumb stuff and then slowly start to switch out, you know, some movements with, with better movements. So when you, you say know, sub out mindless, long, slow distance runs with some, some higher intensity interval runs and stuff like that. Okay. So you just answered my question. So give me an example of some of the dumb stuff. So now as far as that goes, cause you guys are making changes. What, how is the, uh, the, the, the PT test now? How have you guys changed that? Um, for the army PT test, like, cause you have to have a certain amount. I mean, it used to be sit-ups, push-ups and pull-ups in a run. Or is it changed or? So, so yeah, the, the Army's earlier fitness test consisted of sit-ups, push-ups, and a two-mile run. Okay. The new ACFT Army Combat Fitness Test consists of a trap bar deadlift for, for three repetitions, a hand-release push-up test, so you do as many hand release pushups as you can in a, in a two minute block. Okay. You then do a standing power throw, which is essentially a, a med ball throw, throwing a med ball back over your head, which is a test of power, lower body power. You then do a sprint drag carry, which is basically in like an anaerobic conditioning test with some implements. Then a hanging leg tuck, which is you hang from a bar with a, with a staggered grip. And then you basically bring your knees up to your elbows and then it finishes with a two mile run. That's good. So it's way more encompassing than the previous test. Yeah. And that's why it's getting scrutinized so heavily. Gotcha. But I mean, that's a good thing. That sounds like a a more well-rounded individual than someone who's just doing sit-ups, push-ups and running. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's think of a fitness test. The whole point of a fitness test is to evaluate where the individual is in all physical domains. Yeah. So your fitness test should be well-rounded, all-encompassing, and that's kind of what the ACFT does. Now, it's by no means a perfect test. There's a lot of things that I feel they could have done a little bit better, but it's still overall a giant step in the right direction. And were you a part of that, a part of developing that? No. Was that around before you got there? Or were they were they were working with it before you got there? So when, when I first started working for the Army, I want to say for the first six months, they were still doing the old fitness test, and then it got phased in as I started. Okay. But as it's gotten phased in, it got interrupted with COVID, and then it's now being – it's being evaluated by a third party to make sure that it's not unfair against women. Gotcha. Okay. So now as far as, um, as far as it goes with, with training women soldiers, um, what, what would it be being unfair? It's like just the weight differential can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, <clears throat> generally speaking, women lack 
the same amount of strength as men. But that's not so much as a gender issue. That's more of a training issue. Most men start training, specifically strength training, in high school. Very few women do that. Gotcha. So it's you, you're you're taking a population of minimally trained men, moderately trained men, and comparing it to a population of very low level trained women. And I'll, and I'm generalizing. There's always there's always a group, an outlier. Um, with with the exception of upper body strength, yeah. women do have significantly less upper body strength than men, even when they're equally trained. So. I don't know exactly what they're going after or what they're saying is part of the test that it's unfair against women. I think it might be the leg tuck, but that's going to be up to this third party entity that's going to look into it. And, but, but here's the, here's the thing with that. The A, the ACFT, not only is it a, a, a performance test, but they also use it to, figure out what jobs certain people are eligible for. Okay. So for example, the different standard, the highest standard, which I believe they call the gold standard. I could be wrong with that, but whatever the highest standard is, if you want to be in the combat arms and in the infantry or the armor side of the house, you have to, you have to score in the highest physical standard, which makes sense because if you're in combat arms, that's typically one of the most physically demanding jobs. Okay. So it doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, anything in between. If you don't have the, the requisite physical ability, you have no business being combat armed. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So, and that, I mean, ultimately, that's how I feel as a, as, a, as a human being, as a veteran. Like, I don't, if you can do the job, I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what your sexual preference is. If you can do the job to the standard, then great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen you, you, you showed me videos of guys, well, men, I mean, guys and girls training. Uh, I guess they were it, it, like with these type, these, uh, these pistol simulators, like you were having them do like an intense exercise and then go and shoot, which I thought was pretty cool. Yep. And that, that's an example of how we incorporate the sports psychs or oh. the spies, we call them for short, which okay. probably isn't the best uh, acronym for them, but <laughs> they, uh, you know, there, there's such limited time in the day to, tr- to train. In a, in a perfect world, you know, they would have dedicated time to do physical training and then they would also have dedicated time to do any sort of mental training, you know, reaction time, decisions, you know, decisions under stress, memory, things like that. But unfortunately, yeah. you know, they don't. So, we try to incorporate the mental training into the physical training. Cool. That's good. So I, in that circumstance, that. we call that pistol math. So there's the target that they are presented with has a series of numbers on it. You know, they run up to that station, they're out of breath because of the, you know, the, the stations they've done beforehand. And then they're given a series of math questions that they have to rapidly solve and then engage the target with the, with the answer to the solution. I love that solution to the answer. That's great. <laughs> answer to the solution. Yeah. I love I need that. Some, I need some sports psych. <laughs> so is there like a, uh, like a format that you have for like, that you prescribe to the athletes? 
Is it basically a one size fits all? I know you say it's not, or is it individual, or is it you try to make it as individual as possible? How does that work for you guys? So, so that's a great question. It, it starts out very um, cookie cutter, but it's still population specific, right? So we, we start them all off. Again, you have 120 athletes show up day one. You have you have no idea, you know, what you're working with. Okay. So you start them on a, you know, population-specific program. And then the way we individualize it is by watching them move and getting their feedback, specifically what we call RPE, which stands for Rating of Perceived Exertion. So, for example, if we're all doing a, a squat workout, mm-hmm. and yeah. we say we're, today we're going to be at a Rating of Perceived Exertion 8, which is 80%. So it's challenging, yeah. but not maximal. But people that are very strong, you know, they're going to work their way up to however much weight it takes to be at 80%. The people that aren't as strong, they're going to work up to their 80%. And it may not be very heavy at all. So that's the way we kind of control for fatigue and intensity. And then, you know, as we're, as the coaches are watching the groups, you know, they'll pick out people like, okay, this movement is a little bit beyond, you know, your, your current ability. We're going to, we're going to give you this movement instead. And then we write that down on their sheet. So then the next time they come in, you're not starting over from scratch. That athlete picks up that sheet and they say, okay, instead of doing this movement, I'm doing this movement instead. Gotcha. So then after a few weeks, you know, that, that once cookie cutter program has now become, more individualized to the, to the ability and the needs of that individual. Wow. And then the other piece to that is we have a good relationship with the majority of the, the athletic trainers that work with these soldiers. So like say, you know, private Schmuckatelli is going to come in. Ideally we would have Schmuckatelli. an email or some sort of correspondence ahead of time that says like, Hey, this individual is currently rehabbing their left shoulder. So instead of doing any sort of pressing with this individual, have them do a, 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 a pull exercise in place of that. So then ahead of time, we can go through and remove, we can find their sheet, remove any sort of pressing that may be in there and replace it with whatever exercise we feel is appropriate or whatever exercise that was kind of selected by that athletic trainer or physical therapist. Wow. Awesome. Is there a real guy named Schmuckatelli? Probably. I've never met him. <laughs> Shout out Schmuckatelli. <laughs> Private Schmuckatelli. I love that. Um, so now, do you guys also coach them or teach them recovery practices or proper recovery practices? We try to. I mean, you know, you've got 120 see. people in there. That's going to be tough. Right, we, we do. And that's, again, consistency is so important. You know, you're not going to teach everybody everything in, in a day, or a week, a month. I mean, it's the more touch points we have, the more communication, the, you know, the, the more buy-in we get. Yeah. And then we can start kind of going deep into that. But, yeah, we definitely provide recovery. We get them to understand what recovery is. You know, it's not, oh, I foam rolled for 15 minutes, but my sleep and my diet are shit. Like, yeah, no, that's like a- you got to – let's the low-hanging fruit is let's optimize your sleep. You know, let's optimize your diet. Let's, let's figure out ways to – to manage stress, you know, whether that's coming from class, you know, your personal life, things like that. 
and really that's not even my domain. That, that's then linking them up with the people that that's their profession. That's awesome. But behavioral health in the, in the military, I mean, that, that's a big barrier too, because as soon as you, you know, sit, you know, say that yeah, I'm, I'm seeing the, the sports psych or I'm getting treatment for behavioral health. I mean, people, certain people kind of flag you as, you know, a liability. It's, it's, it's gotten way better. I'm sure. Still, there's still that stigma that if you need any sort of you know mental health, then you're somehow weak or, or a liability. It's definitely getting better because I see it also. I mean, in the fire department, it's getting much better because you can't have it's one suicide is enough, you know. And and when you have multiple a year, it's re, it's 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 absurd. So there there. Well, that's the worst case scenario. You know, that's, that's behavioral health gone, you know, yeah, way off the deep end. But even people kind of there in the middle, when yeah. they, they may not have any thoughts of harming themselves, but they're obviously having issues just, you know, getting through the day in a, in a happy, you know, they're, they're just kind of trying to make it till they get home and then they can, you know, eat whatever comfort food or drink whatever you know, beer. They're trying to just get through the workouts as opposed to excelling yes. in the workouts. And again, like if someone is just in a funk, you can give them the best program in the world. That's not going to matter. It's, you got to you got to help them, or, or again, put them in touch with the people that can help them get out of that funk, so that you know, a month, two months, three months from now, their, their workouts are actually a priority again, and they actually are invested. That's awesome. That's awesome that you. I mean, think about it. Do you really care what your squat workout's like if your dog just died? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Or your wife just left you? Like, no. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, talking about recovery practices, and this is more aimed towards you. What what type of recovery do you do? Because I know you and I we spoke before, and I know you do grounding. I don't know if you still do it. Um, and I know you don't do stretching. Even though I'm, a, I love. I'm a big proponent for stretching. So, what type of recovery practices do you do besides your, your sleep? Because your sleep is off the charts. So, so <laughs> correction, I I do not static stretch. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I do do a lot of mobility work. Okay. But I would not call mobility work recovery. Gotcha. It can be. But just because it's mobility work does not make it, you know, recovery. So, um, for me, yes, sleep. Sleep is really after I got out of the military, kind of been a priority for me. I just I don't like the way I feel, the person I am when I'm, you know, sleep deprived. So I don't have any issue going to bed early. Um, what time are you going to bed at? Well, it depends on what time I have to wake up. I, I generally, whatever time I know I have to wake up, I I try to back that up by eight hours. So what time but, do you – go ahead. I was going to say eight hours is ideal, um, but I, I found I, I'm i pretty good with seven. I can get seven and, and not be, you know, in, in, a, in a bad mood or feel tired. Now, I, I've never gone like a week – straight with only getting seven hours uh, i'll typically 
go a few days and only getting seven hours and I'll, I'll get like a much better night's sleep. So on average, I try to get eight. You've always been good with that. It's been five years, I think, maybe more that we've always made fun of you because you'd be asleep by like 6 p.m. And what time are you going to bed now? And what time are you waking up for work? Well, so like next week, for example, we have groups starting at, at 6 in the morning. Uh, so when we have groups there at 6, I try to get there at 5.30. Um, that means I'm out the door by 5. I try to wake up. I'll wake up around 4. Yeah. And then I'm typically, you know, in bed between 7.30 and 8. That's not bad. But, dude, I mean, you've been doing it for years. So, I mean, over time, getting the consistent eight hours of sleep has got to do wonders. You know, that's why you have a fucking full head of hair still, you bastard. Well, you can thank good genes for that. Good genes and sleep, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, you know, like it's like anything. It's, it's a routine. You know, someone who's going from five, six hours a night to try to go – to try to just mimic what, what I do or something like that, it's not going to work. you got to slowly build into it. And that's, yeah. again, that's like you don't go from no physical activity to training like a world-class athlete. You just slowly phase it in. So, I mean, yeah. I've, I've been doing this for so long. It, it's, it's, it's normal for me. You know, people are like, you wake up at 4? That's so early. And I'm like, well, it's only early if you don't normally wake up at 4. Yeah. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I don't. Four is early. I, it's, it's left to my own devices. I think you know, waking up at like five thirty-six. Yeah, would be comfortable. Yeah. So, talk me through. Uh, we'll we'll say a day. Talk me through a day with your training, your eating, and your recovery. We already covered your sleep, or even through like a week. me personally. You personally, yes. So I feel like you okay. have a very good regimen, and you always have, as training and how you how you divvy it up with your training, recovery, eating, and and you know well, so forth. Well, right. So you got to practice what you preach, right? Like I'm a firm believer in that. I, I I'm never gonna tell somebody, hey, you need to get better sleep if I don't prioritize sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean, like yeah, I I tell people they need to prioritize sleep because I'm a living example of, you know, of, or I, I have felt the benefits, you know, numerous times. So it's like, I, I advocate for things that, that I believe in. Yeah. Not just cause like, but, but anyway, so like I, I could talk you through today. I mean, today was nothing crazy. Um, I didn't have a group until eight. So I, I got to work around seven. I set my alarm for 5.30, but I ended up waking up uh, a little bit before it, around 5.15. Figures. So I, I, you know, I, yeah, I woke up. Well, I, I don't like waking up to the alarm. I prefer to kind of wake up on my own. But, but anyway, <laughs> you know, wake up. Uh, I typically don't eat right away. Um, so I don't just like wake up and like go right to the kitchen and, and drink raw eggs like Rocky used to do. Yeah. You know, I'll walk the dogs. I'll get moving, um, you know, hydrate with some water, some coffee. I'll make my breakfast at home. Uh, and then I take it to work with me and I typically don't eat it until I'm at my desk. You know, that way I'm kind of, I'm more awake and I'm, I'm actually hungry at that point. Gotcha. At this stage in my life, I really don't eat, you know, just cause I'm supposed to, I actually wait till I get hungry. 
Gotcha. Um, so I'll, so sometimes I will eat at the house, but the vast majority of time I don't eat so I'm at work. Um, then I had, you know, a group from seven, from you know, seven, eight, all the way to about 1030. Uh, I kind of winded down for a little bit and then I worked out for about an hour today. Um, so what's your training? What's your training throughout the day? Your training and your diet. That's more what I wanted to get to and your recovery for the day. So like specifics? Yeah, don't don't okay. get too specific just cuz I don't want to get people confused. Sure. So again, where I'm at right now, like priorities, um I I still want to maintain a relatively high amount of strength, relative strength. So, you know, I'm 180 pounds. I don't need to be benching 400 pounds or squatting 500 pounds. Um But you have. I don't need to we'll get that. into that. Yeah. Go ahead. Um so I still want to be relatively strong. Um, I don't want to be in pain, which you would think everybody would say that, but you'd be surprised how many people are willing are to in pain all the time. Stay in pain just to, to artificially, or not artificially, just to maintain these these numbers that don't really mean anything. But anyway, so yeah, I still want to be relatively strong, pain free. Um, and now that I'm doing, you know, the martial arts things, I've, I've been putting more emphasis on mobility work and conditioning. So I, I I'm not a fan of training multiple stress types in a given session. So for example, I'm not a fan of doing strength work and conditioning work in a single session. Okay. So I figure out like what buckets I need to fill. So today was a upper body strength slash shoulder health session. Gotcha. So I warmed up, I did some, some prehab rehab type stuff for my shoulders. And then I did a series of pushing and pulling exercises for strength maintenance. Okay. And now tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow is going to be a, a a high output day. So I've been doing sprinting and and more you know dynamic effort type work in the weight room. So it'll be some sort of accelerations on the track. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a track athlete, never been. So you know track work for a non track athlete, which is very different than what a, a real track athlete would do. And then I come in the weight room and I do more velocity based resistance training so you know like south side you remember we would do yeah. dynamic effort days so something like that but not nearly the same amount of volume because i'm not a power lifter anymore so you know stimulate don't annihilate so i may do three four sets not you know not including warm-ups you know i'll do some sort of jumps plyometrics things like that and then i'll call it you got it it's like it's kind of like refueling the tank then emptying it and killing yourself right yeah, I very, I very rarely kill myself on a workout. Um, on a workout, unless it's like a, a challenge that I'm doing, uh, that the staff is doing, but that's you know, two, three times a year max. Yeah, I mean, if you're you're just you're training to be pain free, you want to be strong, you still want to be relatively fast. So, I hear you. Are you doing any endurance training? Conditioning, yeah, I do. I do a lot of intervals. Um, so, again, not to get too too specific, I, I you just I make sure I do longer intervals. You know, generally in the three to five minute range, uh, at or around VO2 max to to really train the aerobic system. And then another day during the week, I'll typically try to do like shorter, harder, you know, anaerobic intervals. You know, thirty seconds or less. Gotcha. 
And are you training every single day of the week? No. Typically, I'll get seven or eight sessions in a week. Okay. Um, Sunday is more often times than not a day off. And then Saturday, depending if I'm down here in Columbus or up in Atlanta visiting my girlfriend, then I, obviously I'm not going to train up there. We have, um, but it, it's, it's more, I feel like it's forced. Gotcha. I, and I, I'm at the point in my life, again, I'm not a competitive athlete. Like if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to do it just to do it. Yeah. And now, 10 years ago, that's a completely different story, but whatever. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that. What's the detriment of people that train balls to the walls to failure every single time, like every, every workout really? Well, we know that the closer you train to failure, the more fatiguing those sessions are. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you train if today, if I did something to you know, multiple sets of failure, that's a lot more fatigue that I need to overcome. So then it, it affects what I'm able to do, you know, tomorrow and even yeah. the next day. And in, in severe cases, you know, with high, for the athletes with high output, you know, if they, if they go all out, I mean, you're talking three, four, five days where they're where, where fatigued and they're not going to be able to hit, you know, higher quality outputs. Gotcha. And what, let me see, what was I going to say? The, um, as far as the tactical athlete goes, do you want like would you would you recommend them to be on similar schedule to what you're at? No, and again, I don't assess the individual first. I don't care what your job is, you know, like what your training background look like. That's that's typically the first question I ask people. Yeah. What like how have you been training? Yeah. Just so I have a sense of what I'm working with. If someone's like, you know. Uh, I played, you know, I played a sport in college, you know, I, I do three strength training days, I do three conditioning days, I do, you know, yoga on the weekends with my wife, I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I'm working with somebody that's, that's probably very fit, very experienced versus, you know, someone who's like, yeah, you know, I kind of goof around in the weight room a couple days a week, and, you gotcha. know, I go on these, it's like, okay, so meet people where they're at, and then also take into consideration their, their needs, their performance outcomes. Yeah. Okay, it's it's uh, basically it's you're you're tailoring it to you're you're taking what you get like judging it on the person on the individual and their lifestyle and what they do. You That's have good. to, yeah. Individualization of training is the, one of the most important things. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And going back to your powerlifting days, so you started powerlifting fifteen years ago, was it? No. Yeah. No, it was like uh, 2009. Okay. Yeah, late 2009 or early 2010. Okay. I mean, officially, like, proper powerlifting. I mean, you've always lifted heavy and always went on, you went on different programs, but when you got with Southside, that's when you actually, like, learned how to powerlift correctly? Right. Uh, Yeah, so I can't remember. Either late 2009 or early 2010. Yep, I was fortunate enough to to get introduced to Southside and invited to train there. I mean, and that, that was, 
you know, there's a lot of value in the, in the education side, the degrees and whatnot, but, you know, the, the amount I learned there from, like, the working end of it was, was far greater than anything I learned in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, you, those programs are awesome. I mean, shout well, out to Southside Barber. Well, the programs, yeah. Well, but well really, the people there. I it mean, was the, yeah, the people, the coaching. I mean, the, the, the approach that they – that they taught us, you know, and the, uh, the approach that they, that they learned. I mean, really any success I had in powerlifting is, you know, I give all the credit to, to, to Stacey and Charlie and their system there. Yeah. They were, um, they were awesome. Yeah. I mean, literally you just show up and do what they tell you, you know? Yeah. What I learned. Uh, don't question it. Just, just do it and be consistent. I mean, work hard, obviously. Um, but I just felt like. I mean, I, go ahead. I can, I can think of so many different getting scenarios excited. getting thrown into a, a a different gym with different a different mindset and a different approach that would have completely destroyed my body. Uh, yeah. I mean, you you know, you saw it. We yep. go to these meets and you see these people, and you're just like, "Who's letting you compete right now? This is this is ridiculous." Yeah. Yeah. But that that gym going there and from the year and a half that I was there with you guys, it was I'll I'll forever have that type of training like that. I don't know, man. I learned so much there from you guys, you know, especially the elite lifters that were there, you being one of them, and it was awesome. And no, it, again, incredible, and I, like that that really changed the trajectory of of you know my career my life is, is seeing that and being part of that. Yeah. Um, so, so you are, um, are humble to a fault, I would say, and modest to a fault, I should say. So you were a national, you placed nationally in powerlifting. Am I correct? Correct. All right. What year was that? Mr. Carson. Fucking one word answer. Uh, man, I'm, I'm bad with dates. Um, so I competed in two different nationals. I, I did uh, one in Chicago, where okay. I took third. And, and here's what people need to understand powerlifting, specifically equipped powerlifting, the difference between the best, you know, like 1%, and the next 5% is two different worlds. Gotcha. Like literally, I think at that, I took third at that meet. I think my best squat was the low sixes. Okay. The guy in my weight class that won, he squatted like 900 something. Really? So, I mean, again, like it, the, the difference between first and third is, is, is light years. But, so, go ahead. But, yeah, but I took third, you know. Um, again, great Great coaching, great, uh, you know, great strategy going into the meet. So I, I took third. And then um, it wasn't the following year. It might have been two years later. I competed in my second nationals in yeah. Louisiana and took, and took first. Oh, you did? I didn't know you took first. I did. And, and that was I beat the guy that was drinking his own pee in the corner. Um, oh, that's weird. 
I, I had never lifted against somebody in my entire life. Like, I, again, the way we were taught is focus on your totals. You know, you want to PR, don't focus on everybody else. But this, this guy was such a, a weirdo um, between putting chalk on his face and drinking his pee that I was like, I can't, I can't lose to this guy. <laughs> so, what were your numbers that year? That's awesome. I didn't know that. Oof. So... I think 7 squat. I remember I stood up with 7.33, but I didn't, I didn't go low enough. Okay. And that was actually the first, first and only squat in my life in a competition that was ever, that I ever got red lighted on for not going low enough. Really? Um, yeah. So it, 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 which sucks because like you stand up with it and you get this like feeling of euphoria and then you look over and you see that red light and you're like, damn, yeah. you know? But it was a good call. It was. I saw the film. I was high. Um, I can't remember what I benched. Low fives, probably. And then I think I deadlifted low sixes. That's awesome. So just to give everybody listening a quick uh, rundown of what powerlifting is, it's three lifts, squat, bench, and deadlift. And you're training. I mean, you're going to train all around your whole your whole body throughout the your training cycle. But your main focus are those three lifts, squat, bench, and deadlift, and it's to get the heaviest of your three. You have three lifts in a meet in each in each uh, lift. So you want to get your best lift, your heaviest lift, and that's the ultimate goal. So Carson's saying that he wasn't high enough, that mean, or he was too high on that, on that squat. I know you guys probably thought he was smoking weed, but he wasn't, but he was high, like meaning he didn't go down far enough on his squat. But... Um, dude, that's awesome. I didn't know you got first place. And another thing that I'm going to tell everybody, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was no drug tests in these competitions. Am I correct? Yeah, so not in that federation. That was APF, um, American Powerlifting Federation. That was, a, that was an untested federation. And I know you have never taken any performance-enhancing drugs throughout your life. Am I correct? You are correct. See? And I'm not against it. I'm not against it. People, you're free to do whatever you want. But I think that's a testament to somebody that not taking any away from guys who take it. Don't get me wrong. There's some bad motherfuckers that take PEDs and that train hard and they work their asses off. But I know... Yeah, just don't misrepresent. You know what I mean? Don't don't be on something and claim you're not. Yeah, exactly. There's no reason to. And but if you're, if you're enhanced, great. Yeah. No... no more power to you. Just be smart about it. Yeah, be smart about it. That's another it. thing. Yeah, be smart about it. Hopefully you can talk to a doctor about it and, and do it the right way. But, yeah, I've known you my whole life, and I know you've never done that. And going into those competitions, not being enhanced is pretty awesome. And I think I, – I know you don't – you're not very proud of your your accolades in that sense as far as lifting goes or sports, but I think you should be. So I wanted to call you out on that because you didn't even put it on your resume. Jerk. My resume. Whatever your intro, like when you told me who you. Yeah, were. I, that. That. Uh, leave Leave that to me. Know. Hold on one second. Yes. Can I help you? Okay. Thank you. Casey's here. She's waiting for the baby to wake up so she can leave. But. Because she's got to go pick up my son. I figured I'd fill you in on that. Carson. Yeah, your son, not our son. 
No, mine and our son. Mine and yours. Yeah. Did you give birth to <laughs> your son? Taking full credit? Yeah, I have to, man. These women want to take credit for giving birth. How else do you think they could give birth? It's not fucking immaculate conception. They grow in the ground, right? Yeah, you grow them in the ground. Or immaculate conception. You pray real hard. So, yeah. But I was, uh, yeah, I've, I, I've been dying to call you out on your, on your powerlifting career and how successful it was. Considering, I mean, everybody. Well, not everybody, but the, the vast majority of people at Southside that were there, you know, uh, more than a couple of years were always successful. But listen, the guys that were very consistent, the guys that made it. I don't know if they were, I mean, Charlie and Stacy, I know were, you know, national or even world champions or, but I don't know. I mean, I guess the other guys were, but in my time, I only saw them and you, you know, I well, think. you met Orlando. Oh yeah. But was he a national champion as well? No, but Orlando was in a very Strongest. competitive weight class. But so were you. 220, 242. You were in the what? The uh... The one, the eighty. I could say there's a one eighty one or one ninety eight, but I, I would argue that at that time, at least, I think the two twenties and the two forty twos were some of the more competitive weight classes. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, and I'm biased towards you know smaller people. Like it, it's cool to see, you know, a thousand plus pound squat. Yeah. But when the dude squatting it is three fifty. You know, I think it's way more impressive to see the 220, you know, 220 pounder squat 800 pounds. I mean, yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm a smaller person, but. Um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I just know some of those 220s back then were just previously strong. Oh, even what's his name? Uh, was his name Brian Shaw? What was he, 160 pounds? Oh, yeah. He was a 165er. And what was he squatting? Oh, I don't know, but he his totals were higher than mine. You know, two, two weight classes ahead of him. And that, again, that's for people who don't understand powerlifting. I mean, it's you know, there's you know, weight classes matter. They they absolutely do. But you'll you'll you can win your weight class, but then have people in other you know, every weight class beneath you beat you. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And. You also spoke about, you mentioned your martial arts that you're doing. So you're doing Muay Thai. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, I started doing that uh, a year and a half ago. Can you explain exactly what Muay Thai is? Sure. It's, uh, it's Thai kickboxing. And So, you know, punching, kicking, elbows, and knees. And what do they call it? The eight limbs, right? That's like their thing, that they, they, they the terminology that they use? Yeah, it's something about eight, eight limbs. And now, <laughs> something about eight limbs. How long have you been doing yeah, it? Yeah, I'm not like a year and a half, but I'm not like one of those like fanboys that like knows all the fighters. I mean, I just go in. I I, I like the classes. I, I like the, the craft. But I'm not like... Then one thing I do like is there's no belt. You know what I mean? There's no... None of that bullshit. Really? You don't like the... You know, I like a ranking things. system. Uh, no, I don't. I think it forces people to stay humble. You know? Yeah. Well, the thing is, generally, especially in like a jujitsu, I see like the higher belts are generally pretty humble guys, less aggressive. You know, when you get in that mid range, you get a psychotic blue belt or even a crazy ass white belt. You know, but the the higher belts, 
they're very, you know, majority of them are very humble, very, you know, calm. That's the way I see it a lot from my experience. But I could see what you're no, saying I, as well. And you're right. Even in my classes, the people that have been coming there the longest and, and that are typically the, the best are very patient. You know, they're, they're willing to work with anybody. It's that middle of pack group that, yeah. you know, they've been going two, three years and, you know, they think they're better than they are and they think they've earned like certain privileges. And, yeah. No, absolutely. But, uh, whatever. They're, they're, you know, typically younger men that they're idiots. <laughs> how many, how many days? And I would probably have been right there with them at that age, honestly. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You weren't that much of a dick growing up. I mean, you know, doing as far as athletics goes, you were, you were pretty cool. No, but I was still an idiot. Yeah, I guess you're you're still an idiot, regardless of your master's degree. Yeah, that's, that's how stupid go. <laughs> what um? So besides the Muay Thai, what, how often are you doing Muay Thai anyway? Two to three times a week. Okay. And besides, and honestly, again, like I'm not a competitive. I don't plan to compete. You know, it, it's different when you're. That's like your your sport. You obviously have to do it way more often than that. But where I'm at, like, the more classes I take during the week, that means the less other stuff I'm able to do. So for me, that two to three classes a week balances out with all the other strength training, conditioning work I'm doing. Awesome. I love it. When you told me you were doing it, I was I was happy about that. Because now you're going to get more flexible throwing those kicks. Next time I see you, you got to do a split. Yeah, well... I think I've hit like a mobility plateau. I don't think so. Of my hips. Man, that's all bullshit. You gotta do some do some yoga. Well, that's one way to go. <laughs> so, what other what other things are you into lately? What other curiosities you got going on? Well, I mean, keep talking. I'm, I gotta go run. I, keep talking. Go. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. My uh, my profession. I mean, I'm, I'm I love it. So I'm I'm constantly reading up on on you know, latest practices, different different things in terms of you know training and, and everything regards to human performance. So even when I'm not at work, a lot of times if I have free time, I I'll read books on topics like that. Um, okay. Yeah. As far as like other hobbies, I mean, not not. Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, I, I still got my motorcycle. I like to ride that when I have uh, free time. Uh, right on. Yeah, that's really it. Listen, you're. I don't like the way this interview's going because you sound like Mr. Perfect. So, what have you failed at? Give, <laughs> give me something recent, or even even like something that, that sticks out to you that you that, that you failed at. Yeah, I mean. I, I've been thinking about that question. I mean, obviously in, in work, like there's a lot of, uh, you know, communication gaps and whatnot, like, but I don't, I, I don't think that's what you're asking about. Like outside of work, everything, like that. yes, anything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's things I struggle with. Like I struggle every day when I, when I train, I struggle every day, uh, at class, you know, I'm trying to constantly push, my barriers but like as far as like flat out like failing it's been a long time since i've actually like failed in anything 
Yeah. Damn, man. Which I don't, you know, maybe that's me being too sheltered. I, I don't know, but or maybe I'm just I'm, um, scrutinizing the word failure too much. Gotcha. Where do you get your news from? Fox. Really? That's it. No. <laughs> this is a dick. <laughs> I, uh, one of my guilty pleasures towards the end of the day is I'll go through like the, the Apple News, you know, and just oh, take God. Art, any articles that uh, I'm not a clickbait dude, though. Like I'm not, I'm not immune to it. Don't get me wrong. Like there's certain times that I'm like, ooh, but most of the time it's just like anything, any topic that jumps out at me. I don't like watch the news or anything like that. So yeah, yeah. just like that, the news feed like that. And obviously at work, if there's something like high profile going on and you know, if I hear like the grumblings of it, I'll kind of do my own little research on it. Uh, but really, I mean, God, these last few years, I just, I, the news is just, I don't know. It's just, it's so polarized. It's just not even, yeah, you know, like people don't even discuss topics. It's just like, my point of view, rah, 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 and then somebody else, my point of yeah. view. Yeah, rah, rah. The news isn't supposed to be that. They're supposed to tell you the news. They're not supposed to do that. It's it's pretty bad. Did you hear about Facebook? That that woman that went on uh, on uh, inside sixty minutes and she fucking whistle blew on Facebook. Yeah, that's been a long time coming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there was that documentary out on Netflix. Uh, I forget what it was called. I mean, it's, but it's like all the some of the former engineers and software engineers for not just Facebook, but a lot of these social media companies talking about the algorithms they use and the, and the studies they use to. To uh, you know, keep keep people engaged on the app and keep people getting notifications to, to remind them to use the app and all sorts of stuff. And it's hate. It's all prom- all like hate promoted, like because that's what gets the clicks. It's wild shit. What this lady unveiled. I mean, and it's all pretty. Obvi- I wouldn't. I, I would all kind. I would kind of say it's obvious when you do go on Facebook or even Instagram lately. That it's like they want you, they, they, they promote that shit. And I remember with the election, when the election happened, coming up to the election, all the fucking negative videos that were out, all the crazy shit of people just beating each other, cops, this and that, all this crap. And if people can't see past that and see like, hey, this is being fed to us. Why is this being fed to us? Like, come on, man. Well, there, right. There's an agenda. You know, there's, it's crazy. You know, you know, who is it? Like, is it, is it the actual, the, is it people at Facebook? Is it, you know, Russian agents that, that are, are using Facebook as a means? I mean, have you heard, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but have you heard of these things called troll farms or some shit like that? Where there's people, no. that they're creating, it's from other countries that want to see the U.S. basically destroyed, that they're creating groups that they're claiming that they're, um, American, uh, I think it was Christian groups or something, and they're totally radical, like saying crazy shit and basically putting out like racial shit and all this stuff. And it's basically agencies from other uh, countries doing that, trying to screw up the United States. So So you're saying like other countries paying or forcing human beings to pretend to be Something yeah. or not, and putting out. They're just like, yeah, they're just cr- and- they're yeah, they're just basically. 
it's they're starting a war, like a social media war within the United States, brainwashing the people in here. Well, here again, I mean, that's troubling, right? Like, uh, that's that's not good, um, and we shouldn't just turn a blind eye to that. I mean, I'm not saying we should invade these countries over that, but no, you, I mean, that, how the hell are you gonna do? But like, who? Like, that's that's always my question. Who is being convinced? Like, do I go on, on to Instagram and leave Instagram like with my my morals and beliefs changed because of Carson, you know, like people that are a lot of people do, man. I mean, well, I, that, so that that's more trouble. Like, who I know who is being influenced so heavily by people they don't even know. I know. You know, um, well, it, I I don't know. Maybe I'm listen. But even like celebrities that are known, like. Yeah. You know, like, okay, you're an athlete or a celebrity, and this is your opinion on whatever topic. Good for you. Your your opinion means no more than anybody else. You're just a millionaire, so people, like, seem to think it matters more. Yeah, that's what it is. It's just, it's, it's, it's bizarre pretty, to me. It is bizarre. But also, you're, like, probably 1% of the country because – of your your consistency and your work ethic and the amount of sleep that you get and you're committed to that <laughs> nobody can not many people can commit to certain things it's a very small percentage so you got to see well, I, don't know. I would say that everybody in our friend group is, is like that yeah well in in which group i'm sorry our friend group like our yeah. circle you know what i mean yeah we don't have any friends like, at least that we would admit that are like getting all hot and bothered by some bullshit dialogue on Facebook or whatever. Yeah, I know a lot of people that do, unfortunately. Well. And, you know, and I know we're only like friends with only like five of us, but still, maybe less. <laughs> so that's a small group. <laughs> but, hey man, I mean, I'm I'm glad it's not, um, I'm glad it's not influencing you. And hopefully that the shit that you do People can uh, it could resonate with people and they can learn something from it. Um, so, what do you got coming up? You got any goals that you want to achieve? You have anything on the list? Yeah, I mean, I always have like two or three continuing ed opportunities lined up. Um, Let's hear you it. You know, like what are the specifics? I want to know what you got. What you want to do? What's what's coming up? You don't have to get in detail. All right, yeah. As far so, as you want to get in uh, detail. In, in November, the uh, called Functional Range Conditioning, they're hosting a a conference or not a con- like a clinic uh, at the uh, the UFC Performance Institute there in Las Vegas. Oh, okay, so, cool. Yeah, that's that's cool for a couple of reasons. One, the training that they're they're going to provide is, is world class. Um, and then the second is that get to see the UFC Performance Institute. And I know people don't know this uh, unless they pay attention, but in, you know, in my opinion, that's one of the best human performance programs in the world. I mean, some of the stuff they do there in terms of like athlete profiling, uh, it's incredible. And it's free for the fighter. So that's once awesome. you're, you know, sign a contract with UFC, you can go there free of charge they do a, a, a wide array of, of tests on you and then they're able to show you where you stand based off your weight class. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, and then also based off like what you claim to be your primary discipline, right? So say you're a, a wrestler first or, or jiu-jitsu player first, striker second. You know, we, ex- we expect fighters like that to have uh, a higher relative strength as opposed to fighters that, you know, classify themselves as strikers first, you know, ground game second. So it's really cool to see. You can see, okay, where do I rack and stack amongst people in my weight class? Where do I rack and stack amongst people with a similar fighting style to myself? You know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And then hopefully you, you, know, you and your team cater your training to fill those voids. Um, that's awesome. I love that. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that's, and that, I mean, that's really a similar approach that I try to take with the people I work with. Obviously, it's not nearly as in-depth, but it's, it's, it's profiling. Like, hey, what are you good at? What are you bad at? For the, for the best performance outcomes with the, the lowest cost, cost, and cost of adaptation, not like money, um, it's your, the better strategy is to, to bring up your weaknesses. But That's most awesome. people don't want to do that. They just want to keep getting their strengths better and ignore the weaknesses. But anyway. That's cool. I didn't know you were going out there. That's really cool. You got to tell well, me about that when you go. Well, I'm trying. You know, government uh, spending is very fickle. But, yeah, I'm trying. And then uh, there's, a, there's another clinic. I believe it's in Austin, Texas, uh, early 2022, which is more of a, it's a, more of a communication-based class. It's, it's catered towards people in the health industry, but it's communication and messaging. And that's really something that the military struggles with is uh, getting buy-in at key levels. Gotcha. And the way you get buy-in is by optimal communication. So, Awesome. Damn, man. That's good. So you feeling good overall? I feel great. <laughs> you going to bed soon? Yeah, about 30 minutes. <laughs> You're not even kidding. No. I'm, no, I know. It's only 4.30. Uh, I, uh, I haven't had any early, like, super early groups. So I've been staying up a little bit later. 9.30, 10-ish. What beers have you been drinking lately? Oh, man. I know you're into so, the, to the IPAs. Yeah, I'm an IPA guy, but I've been taking a break. Uh, with the IPA, not not I just not for any reason. I mean, if you put one in front of me, I'm not gonna like turn away at it. Um, I actually been drinking a lot of Michelob Ultra. What the fuck? Why? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. When did I? This is not the Carson that I know. What? The, what, what did I? God, my memory. Um, I it was like a good day beer. You know what I mean? You can kind of drink them like throughout the day and not not feel like shit the next day. Yeah, I got you. I guess so, it's like water. Yeah, it's, it's low alcohol, you know. Um, Carson, stay on, stay on for a second. We're gonna have to go silent for like 50, for like thirty seconds. I'm sorry, folks. Just stay on. I gotta go grab something.
Sorry about that. It was a little longer than 30 seconds. Did you hang up on me? No, I'm here, baby. All right, baby. <laughs> yeah, man, my back teeth were floating. I was dying. And my baby just woke up. So, oh, my gosh. Your baby? Well, mine and Casey's baby. <laughs> so what, what? Give me, give me some names besides Michael Vulture. You, fucking disappointing me. So my yeah, and then like seltzers too. I mean, I know it's not a beer. Oh my god, what happened to you? Drinking seltzer? Yeah, they. Uh, man, what's the name of the one? I think it's like Basil Hayden or something. That's a that's a bourbon. Basil Hayden. Know. Yeah. Yeah, basil, Hayden, basil Hayden Seltzer? No, it's like, I forget the name of it. But there's like better seltzers coming out. They're not all like these Bud Light bullshit seltzers. You know, they're actually like, I feel like they take, they care what it tastes like. Um, but I only drink those and I know I'm going to have like a like a few. I'm just going to have like one or two beers. And yeah, probably like a good IPA. Uh, Creature Comforts, Creature Comfort, which is a brewery out of Georgia. Yeah. Really good. You ever, um, you ever have Ghost in the I Machine? I love Dogfish. What? Ghost in the Machine? I don't believe so. If you go to the store, get the Ghost Ghost in the Machine IPA. It comes in a bottle. Oh, my gosh. Who's the, who's the brewer? Paris or Paris something? Paris Brewery? I think it's... Paris? P-A-R-R-I-S, I think. Where are they at? I don't know. Maybe California? I don't remember. But, man, it's a good New England-style IPA. You know, it's like a thicker IPA. I just I'm into those lately. Yeah, the hazy. Yeah, I guess it's well. It, they call it American style IPA or New England style. That's like well, that. I, was, I thought like, New England style was like that hazy. I guess it is. Yeah, it looks like orange juice almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, there's a brewery up in Atlanta called. Um, I don't remember, but it, it, they have this beer called <laughs> Hazy Like a Fox. That's really good. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you, there's this place in Fort Lauderdale called Invasive Species Brewery. Dude, they kill it in, in all aspects. All their beers are just top notch. And next time you come down. Do people get married there? No, just me. Not there, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and supposedly I was the first to get married at Funky Buddha Brewery in Fort Lauderdale. But I guess someone got married before me. I don't know. Someone. Man. I thought it was like five or sixty. No, I, I listen, man. They told me hi. Oh, my daughter just came in. Hi, Amelia. Say hi to Carson. And she just she like moved away from the mic. She's looking at all the buttons. Yeah, well that pl- I mean hi. Well There it is. Hi it, Amelia. <laughs> yeah, invasive species is is top notch as far as like that goes. I mean Funky Buddha, they ended up they sold to Anheuser-Busch, which is, hey, man, more power to them. That's awesome. They made a ton of money doing that. Um, but their beers are Anheuser-Busch is buying up breweries now. Dude, well, they bought the Funky Buddha brand. Funky Buddha was nationwide oh. before. Right, okay. Yeah. Before Anheuser-Busch. Okay. Where you want to go? who owns the brewery? The what? Who, who owns the brewery? Oh, I think, I think this, a person, the individual owns it. Um, okay. I'm not sure... About the brewery? That's a good question. I'm pretty sure the individual... But like the owns. Anheuser-Busch owns the rights for the beer? Yeah, Anheuser-Busch owns Funky Buddha beer. I wonder what they made, but good for them. Yeah, oh, it was multi-million dollar deal. I mean, because Funky Buddha was already an established brand. 
really like well established from the bottom up. I mean, those guys, what they did, and you know, hey, more like I said, more power to them. They went to, you know, they sold to Anheuser Busch. The the what is it called? The king of beers, Bud Light, Budweiser. Drinking them Bud heavies. Any good bourbons lately besides Basil Hayden? Um. Sorry. I mean, I really like that uh, Henry McKenna. Really? Yeah, Nick Nick turned me on to that. It's really good. I've never had that. Yeah, it's, I I tell most people to get it. It's moderately priced too. It's not. Dude, you gotta try Jefferson. You gotta try Jefferson's Reserve. Jefferson's Reserve. I'm gonna stop. I think I've had it. That's a that's a. Awesome I'm, I'm honestly I'm more of a Scotch guy nowadays though. Really, you switched, huh? Because you were doing bourbon for a while. Yeah, I've been for a very long time, and then Sorry. I've gotten more into scotches. I think scotches are more complex. Really? Yeah, a good one. Now, if you buy some bullshit scotch, you're going to be disappointed, but if you spend a little bit of money, um, yeah, well, we... and you're and, you know, you're sipping it and like enjoying it, not just taking shots of it. No, uh, of course not. We, I mean, that's what we came up on, man, in our young days. Shots of, yeah, shots no, of just scotch. Drink, not even just shots, but just drinking a lot of it. <laughs> You know, that's why I sleep so well. Yeah, I know <laughs> that's your sleep remedy. So everybody out there, human performance specialist Carson Randall recommends scotch for your eight hours of sleep. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Well, you say you'll be in bed eight hours. I don't know how good your sleep's gonna be. Yeah, exactly. You'll be sleeping. You'll be sleeping like a zombie. So whatever. <sighs> you know, can you guess how long we've been on the phone for, or on the show for? Hour and a half. Yeah, hour and 22. Time flies, right? It does. Man. Well, I guess we got to call it, Carson. I'm kind of disappointed. You know? In me? Yeah. In in us. (laughs) 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 No, but um, we would have to... uh, do this again soon because I wanted this to be more of the professional side of you and then I want more of the Carson side but we got to figure that one out yeah well let your uh, let your your viewers decide if they can tolerate more of me yeah of course well it's going to be me just pounding the airways with stories of you you know shout to Scott who Shots of scotch, yeah. I'd like to do a live one with you in stu- in studio. Hi, Mama. Hi. In studio. You know, because over the phone is great. And you can get, you know, you can get a lot of answers out of people and good questions. But when you're in person, there's nothing like it. Yeah, maybe a good bottle of scotch and some stogies. Yeah, man. Well, that would have to be outside. We'll do the stogies after. I can't do it. I'm, I'm not a baller yet. In three years, I will be. Oh, the indoor studio? Yeah, yeah. For now, I got to wait, you know, wait a little bit. I'm in an Airbnb right now, so I got some time. All right, Carl. Well, I appreciate you being on, and I'm going to close it out. But All right, Lou, thanks for having me. Of course, man, and we'll I'll get you on again soon. And... um and we'll take it from there. You got to give us an update on what you on, the, on your sidekicks and knees that you're throwing. 
Sounds good. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Bye. bye. So, for those of you that don't know, that was my buddy, childhood friend, also a human performance specialist. And uh, it's been a long time coming to have him on the show. He, um, you know, obviously is a pretty accomplished person. Very intelligent, so I had to have him on just to give people insight of what he does because I find it very interesting. You know, the fact that he's a basically a performance coach for the Army. So I thought it was very cool. And that was episode 36. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, it was more informative. It was a more informative side of the show than I normally am. Normally it's more of a comedy side. But I can, I can visit all aspects. I can be serious. I can joke. I'd like to think I can kind of I can answer some good questions to people, or <laughs> answer good questions, ask good questions to people. So, we'll uh, I'll probably have the wife on next, Coach Casey. You guys, she's been on before, so we're gonna take it in in a, in a little bit of a different direction. But always expect, you know the funny stories and we're working at the smart guests. So I appreciate you guys listening. Episode 36 is in the books and we will talk soon. Take care guys. (laughs) 